Okay, we are recording. All right, so today we're going to do Luke 15, 11 to 32, finish the chapter here. Um, Introduction-wise, just to kind of refresh us and catch us up and remind us where we're at. The audience here in verse 1, it's the tax collectors and sinners, and we can all associate with that. I think pretty good. And there's also the Pharisees and the scribes. And the disciples are there. Um, Sometimes it's like one of those things where, you know, you're told to count how many people are present and you forget to count yourself or your family or whatever. Um, And and a little bit I see that sometimes I forget that the disciples are there, you know? Like, so, anyway, by that, that's how they're there. This is, I... I wasn't sure, so you might take issue with this, but I'm going to say it's the third parable in the series um, and of these parables or this parable. He says he, It says in verse 3 that he tells them a parable, and he tells them two before this one. Um, at least I would count it as two. But, <clears throat> so we had here the lost sheep, and I really liked the things that um, Casey did. And, and thinking about sheep, the, the thing that stands out to me is they're dumb and weak, um, and we can be dumb and weak. You know, we don't do the things that are good for us. We get the, your example of how they just kind of wander off and keep going and have no idea what they're doing. Um, kind of is so apropos for us, but, you know, so here the, the little lost sheep, he took off and everything, and this... And the Savior, the the shepherd still valued him and maybe put more value on him since he was lost, actually, than the the other 99 sheep that he had. Um, And so he goes and and finds him. Then the lost coin really uh, stood out to me there. The the coins, you know, they don't have any power. They can't, I mean, I guess if you attached your apple thing, whatever you can do. You could get it to beep when it's lost now or something. But at that point, they didn't have any of that stuff. So a lost coin is a lost coin. You can't say, oh, I'm over here. You're so close if you just, you know, none of that stuff, okay? The coin is lost. It's just plain lost. But the thing that really I really liked and I really have been thinking of a lot is didn't matter how dirty the coin was, the coin was still worth what the coin was worth, you know? And, and how often... I can think of so many examples um, how we value people by how they look and how they appear and how they act and, and everything. And we're perfectly willing to say, well, they're not worth as much as the ones over here. You know, and I think that's part of the, the purpose of the parable, too. But they're not worth as much as people because they don't, they don't have the nice clothes or they don't talk right or, or whatever it might be. You know? And we're in a world where I think it's getting worse the, the rules have changed, you know, used to more be more a racial divide, but now it's, there's so many things that divide us apart. And I see Satan, he's just having a grand time. I could get them to divide over this. And now I could get them to divide over this. And, you know, we, now we have divisions, you know, before it used to be Republican and Democrat, right? I mean, you were Republican or Democrat, but now there's so many Democratic little things and Republican little things you know, that we can get them to divide too now. Like we can really, you know, there's the progressives and the MAGAs and the, and the super progressive and the super liberal and us, you know, we can just divide them all up. Now nobody will get along, you know. And, and so I see that, that Satan really, 
really working and those kind of things. But I really like that idea of the coin's worth the coin, you know? And Jesus, God, when he looks at us, we're worth what we're worth. You know, we're not all different. We don't all have a different value. And I thought that was interesting as I thought about it. They were all the same value coin. You know, it wasn't like, well, I drop, you know, like if I drop my change, I have some pennies in there and I don't care if I get all the pennies back, you know, and I got a quarter. That's my biggie. You know, I got the quarter and some dimes and nickel and, you know, but they're all different. And like I said, you know, most of us, if we drop them and can't find the penny, that's okay. It's just a penny. You know, if I drop my quarter, I want to find that one. You know, not that I use my change hardly at all anymore. The last time I used my change was to put air in my tire. And then I needed all quarters. So that's why they're more valuable. Um, not just because they're worth more, but they go in the air machine if you need to use the air machine. You know, anyway, enough of that. So we're going into this parable here. And this one takes on a different tone, I think. Um, and I, th- I think it really builds on, we'll see that as we go, but... It has a different tone. So we'll read through the parable here, and then we'll dig right in. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him, or but, no one gave him anything. But when he had come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will rise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Then he was angry. It would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, 
You are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So, here we go. One of the things that stands out to me, and I even found it to be true in the commentaries I looked over and stuff, is there were two sons. Most of the time when we do this story, for some reason, the second half of the story, the second son gets really downplayed to me. Like, you know, to me, and you'll see it, maybe it'll come out that way. The second part of the story is the real meat and potatoes of the story. Okay? The front part is, it's just fun. Like, this is such a cool story. You know? And, and, and I can see a little bit when I would do it with kids, I think I would... Um, emphasize the first part because it's a happier, you know, you don't want the kids to all go home and say how terrible that that, that was because he ma- I made them feel bad or anything. But I, I know that I spent time on this second son. You don't want to be like this guy. You know, this is not a role model for you. And so we would, we see that here. <clears throat> so as we look at it and we go through it, um, the first, the first verse there, um, a certain man had two sons. And so we got to keep that in mind here as we go along. Um, the other thing that I would mention um, is, do we know what prodigal means? Because sometimes I know I do anyway. I put the wrong definition with the word, okay? Prodigal doesn't mean he's lost. And lots of times I think that's what we kind of think with prodigal. Oh, he wandered off. He's wandering, you know, it's, it's kind of the pilgrimage, but it's not that at all. He's wasteful. That's what it means. Prodigal means wasteful, okay? And he does that, you know, we see that in the story here, but that's, so that's the difference. Um, prodigal is not really because he's gone off or anything and they're waiting for him to come back, although that's what my mind lots of times says because that's what happens in the story, right? But really, he's a wasteful son, um, and... And as we look at it, we'll wonder if the other son is just as prodigal. He just does it different. But we'll look at that as we go. <clears throat> okay? So, as we go along, um, we have here the younger son comes to his dad and wants his inheritance. Uh, it's interesting to me <laughs> as we look at it, too. This would be an insult. It'd be like oh, Nate comes to, oh, yeah, Nate's younger. Okay, so Nate would come to Mike and say, I want my inheritance, and Mike's still alive, you know, like, he's not really ready to give up all his inheritance, it's, it's an insult, it's not like the end of the world or something, but, and, and it would happen from time to time, you know, but he came and he wants his inheritance, and so, just to keep things clear, the father gives them their inheritance, okay, he gives it to them. They both gotten their inheritance. And the way those things work, the older son gets two thirds and the younger son gets a third. Okay, that's how, you know, firstborn, he gets more because he has to put up with more. Uh, I, I can say that with confidence as being a firstborn. You know, you're the test, the test dummy, you know. Your parents have to learn how to be parents and all of those things, you know, and, and the younger kids always get away with more stuff and everything, you know. So 
the older one deserves two-thirds. I can see that. Okay? Not really, but anyway. So we have that here. So he's divided it between them. Where it says there, and he gathered all together, is <clears throat> if we would say it now, or we were telling it, so he converted it all to cash. Okay? Somehow he converted it all to cash. Found places to sell his pigs and ducks. and Well, not pigs, because they wouldn't have pigs. But his, you know, whatever he had and everything. So he could convert it to cash. He gets it converted to cash, and he leaves. Okay? One of the things that's sad to me, one of the versions I have, you know, when they put parallel passages or whatever, and it wasn't just this one, but that was the first one I had come across. They take you back to... Um, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, I thought I wrote it down, anyway, we could look, if you want me to, I can tell you which one it is later, but it's the law where the rebellious son, you would take the rebellious son before the elders of the city and have him stoned, and I'm thinking, wow, talk about overreaction, I mean, to me, like, I do have this problem, Mark has this problem, maybe it's a Mark problem, I don't know, um, Hmm? 21, 21, okay, thanks. Um, but I always look for the, I always try to find the better, best in things and find an example, uh, explanation why somebody did something and I shouldn't think the worst of them after all, you know? And so my example, my, like I just said, my reaction to that is, wow, that's overreal. Like, that's awfully harsh. Like, I don't know that I'd kill him. You know, I don't want him dead. I just want him to, to shape up, you know, like, and I don't think that that law probably got used very much, even if they were rebellious and terrible and everything. As a parent, I would say they, that would be the very last resort, you know? Look at the story of Samson. Now talk about a rebellious, hard-to-get-along-with son, you know? And they didn't take him to the elders and have him stoned or anything like that. And there's other, other sons, you know, Samuel's sons, were pretty rebellious and terrible. He didn't take them to the elders, you know. And maybe he should have. I'm not saying that, because I, I look at that sometimes as a fault of mine. I'm too easy, you know. I look for the best thing and make ex explanations and, ex and excuses for people that I shouldn't, but <clears throat> as we go through that. But, but we see that here, okay? So he's, he's not that bad. The, the the father's not obviously upset with him enough to take him to the elders. He didn't, oh, let's go to the elders. We've got to straighten this out right now. I'm not putting up with this. No, nope. he gives it to him, gives him his inheritance, lets him leave and everything, you know. And so he's, off he goes. He gets there and he spends all his money. And we don't have any time frame how fast, you know, was he pretty good about it, and he's there for a couple of years or, you know, or whatever. But one of the things that stood out to me is he runs out of money and a famine comes. And I'm thinking with, with Ruth, we had a similar thing, right? I don't know what all was going on, but, you know, a famine came, and so Elimelech, he leaves, you know. Uh, the good thing in this story is a famine comes, and, a, and we're going to see here eventually he comes to his senses and he goes back, you know. Um, and so we see that, see that here. <clears throat> but he he squanders. It says he squanders his his wealth with 
prodigal or with wasteful um, living. And it's going to be the same word in the next parable right at the beginning with uh, the steward that is unjust or however, but he's wasteful. He's that same, he's going to be that same word. So we're down here in verse 17. Well, a couple of things. He gets a job feeding pigs, which if he's Jewish, which I'm going to assume he is because it's a Jewish person telling the story and it's a Jewish audience and all those things, but he gets a job feeding pigs. Can you see the, the audience saying, well, it serves him right. You know, I mean, he deserved it. And, you know, all those kind of things. But here he is. He's going to be uncomfortable because he's serving pigs, feeding pigs. And I'm thinking about how this is not the normal um, application of the verse, but my mind goes to, and God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. You know, here he is. He's out of money, everything. He needs he needs discipline. He needs to come back and all those things. And so the father gives him, God gives him a job feeding pigs, you know. How, I mean, that's got to really bother him. i got to think. It's got to bother him. And, and besides that, he's hungry, and he would gladly eat the pods. These are carob pods, probably, most likely. I think the word, if, it, if we directly translated it would be carob pods, but he could eat carob pods. Poor people ate carob pods all the time. I remember back in our healthy, well, not healthy, we're pretty healthy now, but back in the day, we used to eat carob. You know, carob is a substitute for chocolate. If you do do things right, it does not taste like chocolate, just so you don't go there thinking, oh, this is carob, it'll taste like chocolate. <clears throat> there are a lot of similarities, but it does not taste like chocolate. Okay, you can make brownies with it, and they're good and everything, but they're not chocolate brownies. Okay, so don't get that idea. Oh, he'd be eating, you know, he'd be eating chocolate if you knew that about carob. Okay, but no. <clears throat> but he could eat them, and that would have sustained them. But nobody's even given him, here, take a few pods for yourself. He's not getting that either. He's not getting that either. So in verse 17, he comes to himself. I really like it. When he came to himself... You know, I really, that's, the, to me, that's one of the highlights. That's one of the main phrases of the chapter. When he came to himself, you know, and a lot of the commentators would go into how sin is really, sin is really psychologically not good for you. I mean, it's, there's lots of, you know, it's not good. And, and you're not yourself. You're kind of insane because you're so involved and so serving the sin. You don't really see what's the big picture, what's going on. But he came to himself. He came to himself, and we see him repent, and, and the steps here <coughs> of it that we would see are kind of are neat, I think, in that way. Um, we see him, he's rehearsing it, his confession and his repentance. I'm going to go back to my father, I'm going to tell him how terrible I was. I'm going to ask him, if I could just live here, can I just you know, be one of the servants, and, and I'll be better, way better off than I am now. I can't wait to do that. You know, so we see that here as he's going through. And, uh, you know, it doesn't even seem like it took long. So he rose and he came to his father. You know, he came to his father. I'm not sure which order I wanted to do this in. Um, So I think I'll just do the way Jesus did it because I think it probably fits better that way. So he comes to the father. Now the father doesn't say, oh, you're back. Like, oh. 
You shouldn't have snuck up on me or anything like that. The father has been watching. I mean, I would say kind of obvious he had to. He saw him when he was still a great way off. And I'm thinking, well, now that I have my cataract fixed, I can see pretty good just as far as I can. But, you know, is he so far away that he could he really recognize him? You know, it's all how well you know somebody. I think of at our house, if you were there, and we look out our back window, we can see a house right behind us. And that's where Joe Plants lives. And Joe Plants worked with me at camp for a long time. I don't know. I, if I say how many years, E.D. will say, no, it wasn't that long. And if I say, you know, anyway, but a long time. So I'm really used to Joe. And when I look up there, <clears throat> I can recognize Joe a long way off, even without seeing, because he stands this particular way. And when he walks, he has this gait and stuff that I just recognize. I can tell him from anybody else up there. And there was one guy for a little while that was up there um, that I would kind of get them confused because he dressed a lot like Joan. He's about the same build and everything. But there was one thing he did different that always ruled him out. He smoked like Joe would never smoke. Like, you know, but I'd see him every once in a while. And it's like, oh, OK, so that's not Joe because he's smoking. I know it's not Joe. But, you know, that's how well, how well you know somebody and, and, and everything. The father recognized him, saw him a long way off. And he throws away or throws, uh, casts aside, or whatever word you want to use, all decorum, I would say. He runs to his son. Old Jewish, older Jewish men were not supposed to run. I would like that culture, because I'm running hurts. I never liked running anyway, but running hurts when you're old. You know, your hips have more play in them than they used to, and, and all those things, you know. <clears throat> but he runs to him, and not only does he do that, but he gives him a big hug, and he kisses him, and the son's got to be going like, Dad, you know, I'm thinking, I mean, Dad, really, you know? So he launches into his, his thing, right? Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son, and he's launched in trying to get it all out, you know, and the father says to the servants, Bring a robe, sandals, kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. I love it. I mean, it's so exciting. It's like, uh, I get chills. Anyway, but so here we have it, you know. He was watching. He weren't, he's not, he, like I said, he's not dignified and everything. Um, but there was another thing that came in that I found and I hadn't ever even really heard before. I have a commentary by Michael Card. Some of you will know Michael Card, musician. He's a monk and stuff too, but anyway. But he uh, did a commentary on the Gospels, and I have his commentary on Luke. And one of the things that he mentions stands out to me. And I'm just going to read it because I couldn't even paraphrase it real well. And I'm sorry if it gets boring, but it's, it's, it's really neat to me. Um, Michael Card says, I have a life long love affair with words, especially untranslatable ones. Of all the biblical words I've encountered, no single one is more fascinating than the Hebrew word has said. It is the word God uses to define himself again and again in the Old Testament. For example, Exodus 26, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, 
Numbers 14, 8 to 19, Deuteronomy 5, 10. Um, and he says, the best translation I have found for this untranslatable word takes an entire sentence. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. And I thought, oh, that's just so cool. And, and we see that here. You know, we've seen it in the other parables. We've seen that um, he brings out how it's in um, the beginning of Luke. Luke is full of, of that idea of said. And uh, it was in Luke chapter 1 with Mary and Elizabeth. Um, Zechariah uses that idea. Jesus makes, um, does, does those things. He, and he's one now. In fact, that's probably part of the reason that that said thing um, would be um, what what I think the Pharisees and the scribes are really having a problem with here because they're not accepting that, not understanding that's part of God. Um, in Luke six thirty five, it says he's gracious to the ungrateful and evil, and we have a tough time with that. Uh, the world has a tough time with that. I had a job, and and I'm sure as I look back at it, not that, but part of the reason I got fired was because I was nice to people, and the people in charge, I guess, thought I was trying to undermine them, or whatever, and so they looked for ways to to get rid of me. But I just remember, like, you're kidding, like, why is it a problem if I'm nice? If I'm trying to get along with people, if I'm trying to make them happy so they can do their job better. I was the maintenance tech, and my job was to set up the conveyor lines and everything they were packaging for Procter & Gamble. We were doing charm, you know, um, a lot of diapers and stuff, toilet paper and everything, and we would package all up a certain way on a pallet and wrap it up so it was ready to go on the truck. That was the job. And so sometimes, you know, would you like the, the conveyor here or over here? Which would be better? Which, how are you going to do it? Where would be? And they, that was the problem. I was supposed to just set it up. Anyway, but the world has a problem with that. Um, in verse, in chapter 10, verse 37, and we can see if I can get back there. No, it's too far. I'm not going to bother, but it's the one who showed mercy. Oh, the parable of the Samaritan. That's a really, really big one for that, you know? The guy that got hurt didn't expect to get anything from the Samaritan. Like, why would he? Like, he's a Samaritan. I'm a Jew. Like, why would he do anything for me? And yet, we see in that story there um, of his great love and compassion and mercy. <clears throat> and so, again, once again here, the people are asking... Now, do they not deserve what they're asking for? Um, and so we see that. But defining, defining that characteristic of God and seeing that, and so we see it here. And, and I think that, that it's summed up in this action here where God, the Father says, get the robe, get the sandals, get a ring, kill the fatted calf. I'm, we're going to celebrate, you know. And the world has trouble with that as we see it. Think of the verse. And, and sometimes our minds don't want to, but another example would be um, Ephesians 3.20 where it says he 
does exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And we had a dear sister in Erie. I remember her one time pulling us aside and telling us how we weren't using proper English. You don't do that. You, it, two, two, I guess it'd be adverbs. Because ah, it's ends in L-Y. That's why. So two adverbs. You don't put two adverbs together like that. And I wasn't the only one she was accused. We looked at it and we said, no. He said, you look at it. It's exceedingly abundantly. You go back to the Greek. It's exceedingly abundantly. It's double thing. You know, there's an emphasis there on it's way more than you can expect or imagine. And we see that God loves to do that. And often, and as we go through it, we're going to see people don't, they don't understand that. They don't get it. They don't care or whatever. I don't know. Okay. <clears throat> but as he does that with, the serv- with his son now, he gives him a robe. Well, it's garments provided by the father, you know, just like us. You know, he gives us garments of righteousness. He's going to bring him back into the family. Even though he's just asking to be a servant, he's going to put sandals on his feet. Servants don't wear sandals for the most part, you know. They don't wear sandals. He's going to get a ring, probably the signet ring that gives him family authority again, you know. They're going to have a feast and all these things. And it's it's a hard one for me to get my mind around, but I've been thinking so much about it. It's getting easier. It's not that the son's so happy to be back that let's have a celebration or anything like that. It's the father is so happy to have him back. Let's, let's have a celebration. This is important. We had it in the, the parables before him. Who celebrates over finding the money they dropped on the ground? You know, but that's what the one before was. Who celebrates about when they get back from carrying a, a lamb on their shoulders for who knows how many miles and what kind of weather? You know, but he has a celebration. It's important to him. You know, we'd just be glad. I can, I can, I think Casey kind of did the same thing. You know, I put him down and give him a kick in the butt and get him back into the flock and, and go sit down. You know, I really wouldn't care, you know, but not in these stories. And so we see that, okay? But now the older son, and probably doesn't take as long and everything for him anyway. But we see the older son. He's out in the field. Seems like he's doing what he's supposed to be doing and things like that. But he's, but he's, I think we can see he's not in communication with the father. At least not very close communication with the father. You know, so he comes back and he doesn't even look for his dad and say, Dad, what's happening? It's, he asks the servant. The servant says, oh, your brother came back. Your brother came back. And so your dad has, has ordered a celebration. And so what do we see? We see the uh, older son gets angry. And one of my favorite ones to read, uh, I guess it's sort of a translation. It's the Woost Amplified New Testament. He's a real well-known, practiced Greek guy. Anyway, but he, uh, the way he, he puts it here, and again, this is amplified. So he's added some things. You can tell what he's thinking. But as I looked at the words, he's thinking, he's trying to explain what these words, the force of the words really. And so we see there, um, verse 28 says, but he flew into a rage that was the explosive outlet of a long time resentment against his brother, a resentment that had been smoldering in his breast and he was not willing to come in. 
And then we see that. I'm thinking, you know, I can I can really see that. That's the that's the the feeling I get just looking at the other words there, and from the way he replies to his father about it. You know, as we see him um, there, he's not willing to come in. And when he's talking to his dad, it's your son, your money, and he did it with harlots. Like, how does he know? I mean, you know, like. Okay, maybe it's not a long stretch and everything, but you're accusing him of things that you really don't know unless you've been in communication with your brother or something, you know, and you know, you know what he was doing, but, you know, we see it here. How can you do this? You know, you, for your son, and he wasted your money, and, and I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Well, it was his money. I mean, he wasted it, no, no doubt, and I mean, guess sort of it was your money. You gave it to him, um, things but you know and then he goes on and you can just feel I can you know, I can I can feel the the resentment the envy the oh just this ungodly attitude you know I've slaved for you all these years and I know sometimes children can feel like they slaved for their parents uh, but I slaved for you you know And, and I've never, never broken any of your commandments. I've never done anything wrong. Well, <laughs> I can say <laughs> that would be really hard one to, to, you know, if you weren't really mad and going, like, how can you say you never did anything wrong? I mean, I'm not sure. That one flies. But the, the father doesn't call him out on any of those things. He's pleading with him to come in, you know, Never transgressed, and yet you never gave me a young goat even to celebrate with my friends. And I'm thinking, before I read the father's reply, I'm thinking, but he gave you your inheritance. Like, you have it. Like, why aren't you just, you know, doing it? If you really want to do it that bad, if you really wanted to have a goat to celebrate with your friends, do it. You know, but instead, this is this is what a good son I am, and we're going to come. We're, we're building up to the the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, or maybe it's not a parable. Maybe it's really what happened. But we're we're building up to that where you know I've done all these great things for you, and I don't I'm not getting any recognition. And you know, obviously, as we look at it, we're thinking in our minds that this is the Pharisees. And the scribes, you know, it really shows their attitude. And, I, and as I look at that, I'm thinking, you know, yeah. Part of me wants to say, yeah, it's the Pharisees and the scribes. No doubt about it, you know. So I don't have to worry about it because I would never be this impotent or impudent. I wouldn't be like this anyway. So, disre- you know, almost like disrespectful. Like, I don't, I don't know my father or I would understand what's going on. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, how much do we understand the Father, God? You know, but let's look at his his uh, reply. First of all, we remember he's pleading with his son, "Please come in. I want you to come in. You know, I want you to come in. You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. You know, just ask. You can have it." How do we view our service, our relationship with God? 
Are we viewing our relationship with God and our service to God like the second son? And we won't even go to the first son. He, wasn't, he didn't serve his father faithfully all that time or anything like that. But we look at it here and, you know, I've got to admit there's been times I can think of that I've had that attitude. Like, how can you think he's better than me? Why are you giving him so much um, attention and everything? He's not... He's nothing special. If you knew him, you wouldn't be that way. You know? I can think of, of those things. And, and yet the father, it has nothing to do with that. And my mind has been working on that all week. Like it has nothing to do with whether he's worthy or not. It's because he was lost, like the father says. He was lost and he's found. He was dead. And now he's alive. We have to celebrate. Not because of him, but because of those, those facts. He was lost and found. He's alive. He was dead, but now he's alive. We have to celebrate. I have to celebrate. Maybe it's not so much even we. We just get to be in on the, on the thing, you know? I have to celebrate. And he, and he mentioned that before. There's joy in heaven and things as we see that. But he says that in verse 32. It was right that we should make merry. It was right. It's the right thing to do that we would do that. The celebration's a necessity. It's not just because we want to all feel good. We want an excuse to party or anything like that. It's a necessity. And that's the the mind. That's the heart of the father. He's been watching for us to come back. And now we come back. We're back from the dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now we're back. Let's celebrate. I, God would say, I have to celebrate. You know? Just really, I don't know that I've ever looked at that thing and come to that part where, even though I've read that verse before, it was right that we should make Mary. But look at what the Father, what he's been saying. Jesus has been saying, what he's going to keep saying. It's right. I have to celebrate, you know? He's so happy. He's so pleased. I have to celebrate. You guys can come in. Please come in, you know? He's out there with the son. Please come in. Come on in and celebrate with me. And the son's not getting it, you know? And I wonder sometimes how, if I'm that dense with the Lord too, like he really wants me to do this. And I don't get it. I don't see the connection. I don't understand why would you even care, you know? But we see that here as we look at, at his son. What a powerful parable it is to me. And, and I don't know, there was obviously more, way more things I got out of the second half with the second son. He's more applicable to me, you know, than the first son. I got saved when I was six. You know, I didn't go off and be terrible. and You know, not that I'd never sinned. I did some pretty... You know, I'll never talk about. But I did, you know, I wasn't a good boy. But I was a good boy, you know. Can I say it that way and you'll understand? You know. <clears throat> but I can. And, and so I didn't take my stuff and go off and be terrible and, you know, have that wonderful um, fireside um, testimony that I could give and make everybody go, oh, wow, the Lord really worked in your life. You know, I didn't have that kind of thing. I did have the one that said, Wow. You got spared a lot of things because you got saved so young. 
And I was like, yeah, well, I guess, you know, still not as exciting at testimony time around the fire, but, you know, I really did. But there's a lot of things I can think about that are similar in my attitude with the second son. Like, really? Why would you? Why? You know? And things. And, and so this really, really spoke to my heart. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it, <clears throat> for the things and the details and all the things you put in there that we can see when we take our time and examine what it is you're saying and what you're trying to say. And so we thank you for that. <clears throat> Father, we would pray that you would help us to have your heart, that we would understand your grace and your mercy and how much you want to celebrate with us because of us. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know. I don't see anything out there. The weeds aren't things. Ha, ha, ha.